everyone, it's Debbie McGee, known as the lovely Debbie McGee. It's my brand new podcast, Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee, in which you will find out whether I'm really lovely or not, or whether it's just a myth. But I hope that you'll join me every week to hear different stories from my life. You know, what motivates me, what's happened to me, who I've met, and, uh, you know, how I met my late husband, Paul Daniels. That's in Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. And welcome to another edition of Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm so excited about my next guest. It's Biggins himself. Yes, Christopher Biggins. And boy, has he got some tea to spill. Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. I'm delighted to be chatting to you on Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee, my lovely friend Biggins. Uh, So welcome. Where I want to start with you, because we all know you as this wonderful, big, happy character. But were you like that as a boy at school? I'm sad to say I was. (laughs) No, I'm absolutely, I haven't changed a bit in the what is it now, 50, uh, the, 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 nearly 60 years when I was a 10-year-old yeah. or 11-year-old. I mean, uh, friends, let me give you an example. I had a best friend who's still with me, I mean, still in my life, called yeah. John Brown. And we used to go on cross-country runs. Only John and I hated cross-country runs, so we would turn them into walks. And we used to walk and we used to pick up lovely bunches of wildflowers on the way round. And the other boys who'd run, of course, had to wait for us. And then sometimes they had to wait for an hour. And they would be so cross with us. And we'd come sauntering in and they'd come, oh, come on, Biggins, come on, Brown. So that, you know, and we used to be laughing all the time. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. I had a wonderful life. How lovely that you're still friends with him. Yes, absolutely. After that, you went on to drama school. And you weren't the stereotype actor at drama school no I, I just if I can butt in there yes. uh, prior to that I did go to Salisbury Rep hmm. uh, which was a f- in the days good old days where repertory companies were very very popular and were absolutely marvelous and and then and and big business and I went there at 16 and a half years old and I went and I said can I have a job and Reggie Salberg said yes you can come for two weeks uh, to do a play, and I stayed two years, oh, wow. and I got myself an equity card, and there was a great, great friend of mine who was a leading actress there called Stephanie Cole, uh, and she insisted I go to drama school. That's when she suggested I go to Bristol Vic. I went and uh, I auditioned for Bristol Vic, and I got in, and it was fantastic. It was just because up until then I'd always mixed with older people. And so then I was able to mix in my own age group and it was a fantastic year. We had Simon Cadell, we had um, uh, Jeremy Irons, we had uh, uh, Ian Gelder, who's still working, a girl called Hazel Klein, a girl called Gillian Morgan, a really wonderful group of people. I mean, it was fantastic. Tim Pickett-Smith, uh, who sadly is no longer with us. I mean, it was, it was just wonderful. Nor, nor is Simon Cadell, funny enough. So... Uh, uh, sad things happen like that. But um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time to be at drama school. And then when you left drama school, you know, everyone was hoping to get into the RSC. 
yes. you were the only one that did at that time. I did. I think poor Tim Bigot-Smith was furious. Because <laughs> Tim, who went on to become a great Shakespearean actor and a great mm. actor, he was desperate to go to the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I, the uh, casting director came down to the Bristol Vic School and uh, sat in on auditions and things. And I was lucky enough to be asked to go because I, of a play called London Assurance, which was a wonderful, wonderful play. And I, they wanted this character who had three entrances, didn't say a word, but made an impact. So he chose me and of course I did. I had three entrances and the house went wild because he was talked about all the way through by people like Judy Dench and Donald Sindon and Elizabeth Spriggs. I mean, it was a wonderful cast. So I was very lucky. And then they said to me, uh, you've got this part. Would you, would you like to be an understudy? Well, I didn't know what an understudy was. So I said, yes, of course I'll do that, some extra money. And of course that was my downfall because um, you know we were all very, very lazy in that year at the Royal Shakespeare Company at the Aldwych. And uh, there, I, there was, uh, when we did the, uh, when we opened at the, at the uh, Aldwych with London Assurance, um, oh, what's his name now? I was gonna, I'm gonna draw on his name, but one of the actors whose name will come to me in a minute, he decided, and he was playing a lead role, he decided that he was bored and didn't want to rehearse anymore. So I had to do the last week of rehearsals with all these giants of theatres. And I didn't know it, I had to read it off the book because I didn't understand you had to know it. <laughs> so it was pretty hysterical, I can tell. I learned very hard the, the, the wrong way of doing things. Oh, but very quickly. But I mean, I, I think lots of people today probably don't even know your background, you know, at the RSC. I also read about um, a part that you had when you were 17, which might have been pre-drama school, in a play, and I'm going to read it because it's French, Le... Uh, Médecine Malgré Louis. Yes, the, yeah, I do remember that indeed. It was the, um, what is it, the, the, it's something duck or mallard, isn't it? Um, yes, I do remember that. I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it, it was at school I did that because I had a oh. wonderful, uh, uh, my, the reason I speak like I do now is because all my family are from Salisbury and they all talk like that. They all have this wonderful Wiltshire burr. So they all talked, uh, my great auntie Vi hated it. She was a snob. So she insisted that I had elocution lessons. So I went to Mrs. Christian at my school for elocution lessons and she saw something in me and encouraged me into theater. And, uh, was, and I also had a wonderful music teacher who really we only gossiped because that, that's all we could do. I, he tried to teach me to play the piano and all I can do to this day is play Daffodil Dale rather badly. <laughs> But I could tell you a lot of gossip. I bet. Well, that's where you learn to gossip, obviously. And so this all led on, um, Chris, to, you know, you'd, you've done so much work. Poldark. And I'd forgotten that you were in Poldark. And I was looking around the internet last night and there's some fantastic pictures of you. But yeah. you were still quite young doing these very big programmes, weren't you? I was. I was very young. I mean, it, I, I was very lucky because I, I got Poldark, which, of course, was one of the, like, the great roles for me. Mm. Uh, but I, I got it because they, when I did a series called I, Claudius, where I played Nero, and when it was transmitted, the producer of uh, Poldark rang the producer of I, Claudia, and said, what's this Biggins like? And the producer gave me a very good write-up, and he said how good I was. 
a nice person, all that. So I then I got the part of uh, the sex craze vicar in Poldark, which of course was wonderful. I mean, I, I absolutely loved it. And I became a great friend with the writer of the novels, Winston Graham. Uh, Barry Ingham, by the way, is the actor that I was, I was thinking about who uh, went ill because he was bored with rehearsing, Barry Ingham. And uh, so anyway, I, um, I, I did, uh, we, we uh, uh, Winston was a wonderful man, his wife, Jean. He wrote uh, a scene in the book where uh, Ozzie Whitworth was told by the doctor that uh, his pregnant wife, I was too heavy to continue to have sex with her. So I had to stop. Well, I was a sex mad vicar. So I was, I was absolutely, I remember the scene vividly where, where he said, you're too heavy. And I went, heavy? I couldn't believe that he was say, saying this to a vicar. Anyway, so I had to stop having sex with my wife. So I then put my attentions on her, her sister, played, uh, Jane Weimark played my wife, and uh, who was brilliant. She was a very, still a very good friend. And Julie Dawn Cole played my the sister. So we had an affair. And in it, Winston Graham wrote the most marvellous scene where I had to make love to her feet. Now, all week of rehearsals in London, she went to Dr. Scholes every day and had her feet done and, you know, everything done. And we used to film uh, Poldark in uh, Pebble Mill in Birmingham. And on the Sunday when we were up there, she washed her feet about 500 times. Prior to the scene, she was carried from her dressing room by a stagehand and placed in the bed. And there was a close-up of her foot and on action, my tongue came between two of her toes. And the head of light, uh, the head of a drama at that particular time said, no way could he put this scene out on a Sunday night after Dad's Army. So it was cut after all that. <laughs> what a wonderful story, though. I know. Um, it, was, it was absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. And an another role that you got was um, playing lukewarm in Porridge. Yeah, I got that. That was early on. That was before mm. both those dramas. Um, and, and I was, that was the first thing I think I got where I was recognised. I mean, I used to always drive convertibles and I'd be waiting at the traffic lights and lorry drivers would look down and say, hello, lukewarm, how are you? And so that was, it was wonderful. And of course, it was wonderful to work with uh, Ronnie Barker and the, the sad, sad demise of Richard Beckinsale, who, if he'd lived, would have been, I think, one of the biggest stars ever, because he was absolutely brilliant. And it was tragic that he died. I remember vividly, I was doing a film for Derek Jarman called The Tempest, Shakespeare's The Tempest. And we were filming in Northumberland, and I was in bed at the top of the house, at the top of the, the hotel, and there were no telephones. It wasn't a very sophisticated hotel. So the, suddenly there was a knock on the door and there was the manager of the hotel saying, Mr. Biggins, the Sun newspaper are on the phone and want to speak to you. And I thought, my God, what have I done now? So I went down flights and flights of stairs in trepidation about what I'd done. And I got there and the editor said that Mr. Biggins was terribly sorry to tell you, but Richard Beckinsale has died and we'd like a comment from you. So it was a, a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was so brilliant. But everybody was brilliant in that series. And I'm sad to say, I think there's only two of us left. Yeah. Uh, everybody's died. I mean, it's, uh, it's terrifying because it was 1976. And I know it was 1976 because Ronnie Barker gave, there were six or seven regulars in the first series. And he gave each of us a silver tankard. And he had uh, Slade Prison 1976. Uh, engraved on the front and then our names and my name was lukewarm and he put an initial against my name so it reads slave prison 1976 lukewarm p 
<laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and so from all this amazing acting work, you, you know, have become this, you know, I don't want to use the word celebrity because that kind of crosses so many lines, but, you know, this well-known character that's then done so many other things and probably a legend in, in British pantomime. And I can remember seeing you in Panto going back many, many years where I think it was the first dame that I saw that had changed the look a bit and it was the years of Madonna being famous for the cone-shaped <laughs> yes. bras. Yes. And on you walked in your amazing costume with these great big, this great big cone shaped over your boobs. And so did that idea come from you? Do you come up with ideas for your character in Panto? It did. I had a wonderful designer in those early days uh, of costumes called Mark Cantor, who was absolutely brilliant. And we used to discuss things each year you know, and that particular year, the cone bra that Madonna wore was very much in fashion. And everyone talked about it. So we mm. decided that I would have one as well that year. And of course, it was it was fantastic. And it went down a storm. I always believe that the, the dame, if the dame is lucky enough, and of course, it often happens that the dame isn't lucky enough because they're not top of the bill, mm. is that I like to have a different costume for every entrance. And I maintain that. And I think that is important because I think the audience laugh at just the moment I come on and, and then hopefully will laugh all the way through the scene and then laugh as I end, exit. And so the, the costumes are very important. However, I have a very strange thing. I don't like the costumes in the dressing room. I find I'm terrified by them. <laughs> and I like the dressing room because you know what it's like in Pat. Yeah. It's so uh, concise and, and, and intense for those two hours mm. and then you have very short time off and you want to relax and I can't relax if I'm surrounded by my costume so what I do is I put my tights on and I put my fishnets over my tights and then I've got a, a, a sort of body stocking which goes right up to the neck and mm -hmm. then down to the, the wrists and covers all the nasty bits up and I put my makeup on and then I go in a dressing gown and my shoes and I go in my, dressing, in my dressing gown to the stage where I've got a quick change room and there they all are, the mm. hideous costumes. And that, that's how I do it. Because I, like, I feel freer then in the dressing room. I feel I can enjoy myself and, 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 and relax. Whereas I can't relax if I'm surrounded by all those costumes. And of course, my costumes are so big. Mm. I mean, they're huge and they're very heavy, some of them. I mean, they're real, you know, washing machines and things if I'm doing... Widow Twanky, you know, and I remember I had a wonderful costume uh, and I, when I was playing Sarah the Cook and I, I had plates of eggs and bacon and tomatoes uh, with knives and forks all the way around the skirt and then I had um, HP sauce bottle on the front of the bodice and then I had a huge hat with a chicken in a, in a nest laying eggs. I mean, you know, it was, it was magnificent costumes. They were wonderful. And then in more recent years, you've done, you know, some um, very different things, like you went into the jungle and won. Yes. What, was, what was that like, being in the jungle? Well, I, it, people say to me, and you've, you've, you've already said that I've had a marvellous career, which is true. I, I, I actually have. Sometimes I read mm. my CV and I can't believe it's me. 
and it has been very varied and, and, and absolutely marvellous, you know, working with Scylla Black, working with all sorts of uh, Ronnie Barker, absolutely fantastic mm. things have happened to me. So what I was asked to do, because I was always Anton Deck's uh, favourite choice to go in there, because uh, I'd done a lot of their shows. And so mm. every time they asked me, I was always booked to do pantomime. And I would never risk coming out of the jungle and going back to London and going straight into rehearsals, you know, after a strenuous, yeah. I mean, it's exhausting doing the jungle. So anyway, I always said no. Well, one year they asked me in uh, January to do it. And I hadn't been booked to do a pantomime. So I said, yes, I'll do it. And I was very nervous about it uh, and also very excited. And I have to say, people say to me, what is the best thing you think you've done or the greatest thing you've done? And I always say, the jungle. I mean, it, to me, it was fantastic. And also fantastic point of view that the audience voted me in and I won because of the audience. And mm. that is an extraordinary thing. I mean, you know, I was in there with that awful model, Janice Dickinson, who's a vile creature. Mm. And we were there right to the end. Uh, and there were the two of us. And I was convinced that she had won. And so was she convinced she'd won too. <laughs> And when they announced my name, she was shocked beyond belief. It was great. I was shocked, but I was really shocked. And I checked with the producer after. I said, was there much voting between us? She, oh, no, she said, you were miles ahead. So I, that pleased me a lot because she was so horrible. So in, in this business, and I think of anybody I know, you, you know everybody, you've met everybody, you've been to everybody's dinner parties, uh, you're always, whenever I meet you, you've just come back from somewhere very <laughs> exotic. Um, is there anybody that you haven't met yet that you'd like to meet? Well, I, I've, I've met her many, many times uh, at, at functions, and I've, uh, we've laughed, I've made her laugh, We've had interesting conversations, but I would love to sit down and have dinner with Her Majesty the Queen, who I'm a great royalist, and I think she is one of the most amazing women ever. Mm. And today on the news, she's been Zooming for the first time to a WI, I think, with her daughter, Anne. And, you know, she was so excited. And I just, you know, the, the, the occasions that I've met her, she's always had a twinkle in her eye. And I would love to go past that twinkle. So she it definitely is uh, a number one. I tell you someone else I'd love to meet to and have dinner with is Bette Midler, who I'm a great, great fan of. I mean, I've seen her in New York. I saw her recently when she did uh, Hello, Dolly, which she was superb in. I've, uh, I've seen her in so many things, and I, I would love to sit down with her. But no, I've, I've met some incredible people. I mean, I really have. Joan Collins is a great friend, and she's coming around on, uh, tomorrow night for a supper. Um, and she, you know she's divine uh, and then Frank Sinatra I met through her I mean it's it's been amazing really little boy from Salisbury not bad well, and you've enjoyed every minute that's what's so wonderful I never ever hear you moaning no well I, I do enjoy everything I mean that, that is true and I, I, I feel very privileged to have the life that I've led and um, I'm saddened, if I'm going to be honest with you, by the situation that we're in now, not the situation of, of COVID, because that is inevitable and that will clear eventually. I mean, it won't clear. I don't think we'll be doing pantomime. Are you booked to do pantomime this year? I am. Southampton, which you've done before. Oh, it's I wonderful. don't know yet. We don't know well, whether it's going ahead. I, I was going to go to Dartford and I, I'm, I, I know that we won't be doing it. I just can't see how it's going to work. Yeah. You know, Kudos uh, do something like 28 pantomimes 
And I think their investment is five million pounds. Yeah. Now, to risk that is yeah. huge, you know. Absolutely. I mean, and also we don't know if people are going to go to the, to the theatres. I mean, you know, a lot of people, our audience, who are family audiences, will they be able to afford it? Yes. And yes. also, it's a bit like restaurants. I don't want to go to the theatre and have the audience with masks on and sitting two metres in between each other. Mm. You know, so you're not going to play to a full house. I mean, last year I was at uh, Bromley and we broke all box office records and it was really exciting. I don't want to do anything less because you know what it's like. You go out there, there's a half an audience. It's not okay. the same. No, not and the same I think for it, us and not no, the same exactly. for them. Exactly. And I don't know how we would cope either, Debbie, backstage. Mm, yeah. I mean, there are lots of things that could go wrong. And I just, I, 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 I'm very sceptical about it. I wish I was more positive, but I don't think, I think it's much better to forget this year and come back with a huge bang in 2021. I agree. You know, but I, the trouble is, of course, that Southampton being one of them, and I think, well, all the theatres, they depend on a pantomime season to make enough money to live for the rest of the year. So it's going to be a disaster for a lot of theatres. And that is the real sadness. I don't know how we're going to get around that. I mean, I, 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 the other thing I find interesting, I check my bank balance uh, every other day because I'm fascinated. And because we're not going out to restaurants or theatres, which we do all the time, or going abroad, my bank balance seems to be quite good. It doesn't seem to be going down, you know, it's exactly. amazing. Because <laughs> we're not spending all that money. I mean, I, the other thing is I fear for restaurants because the last thing I want to do is go to a restaurant and be served by someone with a mask and a, yeah. you know, and in, in whites and, 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 you know, it's just not conducive to having a nice evening. Well, listen, it's lovely to talk to you. Send oh, my Debbie. To that lovely Neil. I hope it's not too long before we can all get together. No, I know. We'll, when we can, we'll definitely get together. Absolutely. Definitely. Can't wait to see you. And, and you, Debbie. So much for talking to me on Spill the Tea. It's a pleasure. Lovely to see you. Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. You know you want to. Well, that was loads of fun, which wasn't a surprise with Biggins there and uh, really enjoyed spilling some tea with him. He's got great stories, hasn't he? And, uh, and so many interesting things have happened in his life. Uh, wonderful to talk to. Um, I actually just recently, um, you know, trying to achieve things while you can't be doing normal things in life. Um, so my sister has got me on to an app which is Couch to 10K. Now, I have never run in my life. I power walk or walk and, you know, dance my heels off most of the time. Um, but I'm, I'm starting today. This is it. I'm going to go out with this app and uh, see how I get on. So uh, all you runners out there, you tell me it's great. And the more you run, the more you want to. So I'll let you know if I survive the next week <laughs> going out there. And um, yeah, my neighbours will be amazed. I have to say that they'll see me running because some of them do. And I'm always saying you're mad. Um, so I hope you're getting up to lots of uh, good things. I'm really enjoying the podcasts. I'm also writing a one-woman show, which uh, I'll keep you posted about if anything happens with it, but sort of recalling different funny stories and other things that have happened in my life, a little bit like uh, I started the podcast with. And uh, so it's been fun, actually. And also remembering my late husband, uh, Paul Daniels, my nephew's putting up quite a few um, 
clips of the magic shows and other different family videos um, on Twitter. So they're all under Paul's old account that he had. So I think that was at the Paul Daniels. And um, you can, if you want to have a little look, there's some just some short clips of uh, different bits of TV that we did. So anyway, until next time, be careful not to spill your tea. Spill the tea with Debbie McGee. You know you want to.